Good morning, family. It's good to worship and fellowship together this morning. That worship was so awesome. It messed me up a bit, but I want to remain messed up. I don't know about you. When you're in the presence of God, you, you, you don't have to step out. You continue with the presence of God Monday to the next Saturday. Amen. This morning, I have a testimony for you before I tell you about equip training. This last week, uh, my wife and I were in Cape Town, and we got to visit Stellenbosch. Uh, our church there, they are hosting evangelist training. So we're training our evangelists from across the country. And um, as they would do the training in the morning, in the afternoon, they go out to preach the gospel, to go in the streets of Stellenbosch to preach the gospel. In 10 days, we have seen over 700 people give their lives to the Lord. 700 people. That's revival. That is revival. The Bible says if only one sinner repents, heaven rejoices. Amen. Some of them were a recommitment, but we're glad they're back in the house of God. Now, we say to the Stellenbosch Church, their work is cut out. They need to follow up all those people because they need to be discipled. I was blown away just by the system of capturing all the people to make sure that we can follow them up. It was really, really well done. On that note, our equipped training equips you to be able to be that kind of a disciple that can disciple others. It is part of our growth path. Once you have done Victory Weekend, the next step, if you've been wondering, is equipped training. So in our life, Meg, we had Victory Weekend for the 18th of, April, of May. So we've changed that around. Now we have our equipped training. If you have not done equipped training, I encourage you to do it. We teach you how to read the Word, how to interpret Scripture, and we also talk about personal and emotional wholeness. How many of you want to be emotionally whole? All right, great. It's just the front row. Great. Awesome. We started the Nation Building Series last week, and Pastor Roger kicked us off talking about building in exile. Today, we're talking about your vote counts, biblical leadership for public office. When we vote, we know that our vote counts because when we vote, we vote prayerfully. When we vote, we approach the votes trusting that God will work through our voting. And that's what I want us to challenge us with this morning, that the question we should be asking should not be, should I vote or not vote? The question we should be asking is, who should I vote for? And I hope to help you this morning answering that question. I like the scripture that Pastor Roger gave us last week. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because as it prospers, you too will prosper. It says, seek the peace and prosperity of the city or the nation where God has placed us. We know we are in exile here on earth. Our home is heaven. But it doesn't end there. It says, pray for the city. Pray for the nation. Let us pray. Let this be our posture the next three days that we can cry out to God for godly leaders. We can cry out to God for godly men and women to rise up. So today I want to talk to you and I will keep saying this over and over again. We need to pray for godly leaders. We need to choose godly leaders and we need to become godly leaders. It's one thing to say, yes, we want godly leaders, but when we put the mirror on ourselves, we are far from being godly leaders. Pray for godly leaders. Let me submit this to you. 
each and every political party has got godly leaders. Each and every political party, there are godly leaders in there. We need to pray that they will rise and take up their rightful position. We need to pray that even as we vote, that those godly leaders will rise up and take their position. Let me give you a bit of history to remind you of where we come from in South Africa. And the reason I give you this history is to give you a context comparison with the Israelites. You know, the Israelites moving from, I like what you shared, Katie, about Deuteronomy. They were moving from slavery through the wilderness to the promised land. I don't know if you know that South Africa feels like the wilderness right now. We came from here, slavery, going through the wilderness towards our promised land. If we were to compare this journey, I want to show you this morning where the wheels fell off in Israel and how the wheels fell off for us here in South Africa and how we can go back to God's intention and promise for our nation. Let me remind you that pre-94, a lot of people were speaking doom and gloom about South Africa. Pre-94, a lot of people were speaking negativity about South Africa. Some people even piled up their homes with uh, tinned food. You don't have to raise your hand if you did. Because they just thought, man, I need some food that's not going to perish soon so that I can be able to survive when there's civil war. But I want to tell you, it was during that time that Christians went on their knees and prayed for a miracle. And we saw a miracle in our nation. And I'm here to say to you, God can do it again. He can do it again. He can do it again. We can see a miracle where things turn around in the nation, even though a lot of negativity has been spoken about our nation. Remember Romans 8, 19 says, creation is yearning for the sons and daughters of God to arise. Creation is waiting for the sons and daughters of God to arise. We trust in God to see things change in our nation. Before we look into our main text for today, I just want to give you a few things that are a good foundation for democracy or what we believe as government. Freedom of choice is the basic foundation of government. The basic foundation of government, it is self-government. I don't know if we are working here. The basic foundation of government is self-governance. So let me explain that. Self-governance means who you are in private is who you are in public. Self-governance means we understand that private victory precedes public victory. Self-governance means we understand that personal purity precedes public performance. Before I can stand before you this morning, I need to make sure that my walk with God is where it is supposed to be. Not perfection, but I need to start by governing myself. So when God gave us freedom of choice in Genesis chapter 2, he said, you need to understand that you are put here to tend and to steward the land. But there's this tree in the middle of the garden that you're not to touch. There are things that we are free to choose. There are things that are chosen for us. And understanding the difference is crucial to understand what true freedom is. There are things that we have been given the liberty to choose and there are things that God has chosen for us because He knows what is best for us. He knows what is best for us. We see different kinds of governments today, but the two I would like to highlight for us 
is theocracy and democracy. Some of you will remember this picture. 1994 elections. Theocracy is the rule of God in the affairs of humans, and democracy is the rule of people where people choose their own rulers and the laws they will be governed by. I'm sure you're familiar with this phrase, the government of the people, by the people, for the people. Now, you ask the question, okay, how did we move from theocracy, the government of God, to democracy? And I want to take you to Scripture today so we can see where the wheels fell off. So can I ask you to open with me in Deuteronomy chapter 17. I didn't put it on the screen because I wanted you to see right in your own Bible where the wheels fell off. Can we open together Deuteronomy chapter 17? While you're opening there, this is the best description of theocracy. It is in Isaiah 33 verse 22. For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king. It is he who will save us. We do not put our trust in men, we put our trust in God. When we go to vote, we do not vote and put our trust in men. We put our trust in God. Look at this. When it says the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, that's the original plan, knowing that God wanted to be our king, our judge, and our lawgiver. Do you realize that these are the three pillars of government? The judiciary, the parliament, that's the law, and the king, that's the executive. If we can go back to this, that's where restoration is. But in the journey from slavery through the wilderness to the promised land, this is what happens. I'm reading from verse 14 of Deuteronomy chapter 17 to understand in the history of Israel where the wheels fell off. Verse 14 says, When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you and have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, Let us set a king over us like all the nations around us. Let's pause there for a bit. The Israelites, God is speaking to them even before they get to the promised land, and He's prophesying and saying, I know this is what's going to happen. A time will come when you will reject me as your king, as your judge, and as your lawgiver. But when you get to that point, this is the kind of leader. You ought to choose. Let's read verse 15. Be sure to appoint over you the king the Lord your God chooses. He must be from you among your own brothers. Do not place a foreigner over you or one who is not a brother Israelite. The king, moreover, must not acquire a great number of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to slavery to get more for them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. Verse 17. The king, he must not take many wives, or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver or gold. I thought I should read through that very quickly. <laughs> the Bible is very clear. That's why I wanted you to open your own Bibles and not say, Pastor Sai, we're not sure if you copied, pasted, and edited. It's straight from the Bible. Verse 18. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on the scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the priests 
who are Levites. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere, to fear the Lord, his God, and follow him carefully. Let's jump to verse 20. And he must not consider himself better than his brothers. He must not be prideful and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Let's just stop there. The Bible gives us a criteria of if we are to choose a king, this is the kind of king we must choose. A king who's not driven by wealth. A king who's not looking only to their own interests and to their own pockets, but a king who will serve the people. A king who will not acquire too many wives, lest they be led astray. A king who will take the word and live according to the word of God. A king who will not be prideful, thinking that people are their objects. But a king who will serve people. Let's read 1 Samuel chapter 8. Now Israel, they are in the promised land. We see exactly what happens. That which was prophesied happens. Let's read from verse 7. And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. Israelites rejected God as their king. Verse 8. As they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and saving other gods they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will do. Warn them solemnly. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people. Verse 11. This is what the king who will reign over you do. He will take your sons and make them serve his chariots and horses. And they will run in front of his chariots. Sounds like what we see presidents doing today. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest and still others to make weapons of war and equipments for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to the officials and his attendants. Let's pause there. Do you realize this is where taxation started? So you want the king? This is what will come with the king. I don't know how you notice things have evolved from 10% all the way to 40%. Things have changed. So scripture is giving us the history of Israel. God wanted to be our king, our judge, our lawgiver. The Israelites moved and said, we want to have our own king. But then we see the seeds of democracy here where God says, if you're going to choose for yourself a king, this is a template you ought to use. We also read in Exodus 18, which is going to be the basis of our study this morning, where we're going to read about a template that God gives us for those that we vote for or that we select. I'm sure you're wondering now that, okay, if God's original plan was theocracy, and now that we have democracy, how can we be able to go back to God's plan? God already knew that was going to happen. He was not taken by surprise, and therefore, He gives us a template. And this is what I want us to read this morning, and we're going to unpack this in the next few minutes. In Exodus 18, God is speaking to Moses through Jethro, and He says, if you're going to choose leaders, 
These are the kinds of leaders you should choose. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you're doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out. For the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I'll give you advice and God will be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe. And place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all these people also will go to their place in peace. Now from this scripture that we've read, you see four things that are highlighted there. The Bible says when you're going to the promised land and you want to have your own kings, this is how you should choose people to serve with you. Because I don't want you, Moses, to serve alone. They must be able men and women. We need to choose and select competent men and women. We need to select people not because of family, political connections, whether they're good-looking, wealthy, popular, or famous. Why am I saying good-looking? I didn't say anything about Bay, for the records. If you don't know who Bay is, he's uh, a leader of one of the political parties, so he's got his PhD, so we hope that he's competent. <laughs> we have seen too many hardships caused in South Africa, whether it be in government, state-owned enterprises, businesses, schools, universities, and church, because people were selected not because they are competent. Recently, Chief Justice Mokweng Mokweng was praying in parliament, and he prayed a bold prayer. He said, God, I pray that you will uproot incompetent leaders and replace them with competent leaders. That was a bold prayer. That was a bold prayer. We need to trust God for competent, able men and women. Again, when you read Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 13, you find uh, Moses recounting and recalling what God had said in Exodus. And he says that, choose men who are wise, understanding, and respected, who have a good track record, who are respected by the people. The second thing we find in this scripture, it says, choose men and women who fear God, who have a Christ-like character. The fear of God speaks of a heart to serve, a Christ-like character with humility, servanthood, and the fruit of the Spirit. Can I submit this to you? A person's private life cannot be separated from public office. Who you are in private is who you are in public. As leaders, we need to Pray for godly leaders, choose godly leaders, and become godly leaders. One of the problems we have in the world today, not just in South Africa, is politicians who profess to be Christians, but their lives are far away from Christ-like character. Far away. 
third thing that we see in the scripture is we need leaders who are committed to the truth, who are lovers of truth. Jethro says to Moses, choose those who love the truth. We have fallen so far short of the standard for elected public officials. Today, it is hard to find an honest politician. It seems that politicians learn how to be dishonest and economical with the truth earlier on in their careers. They need public relations officers and their spokespersons to be the spin doctors. If you're a spokesperson for any political leader in the house, you're doing a good job. <laughs> we'll keep praying for you. I'm building towards this last one, which I believe is a critical and crucial one for our nation. God requires leaders who are unbribable. The reason corruption has become so prevalent is because of the love of money and the love of power. And this needs to be called out. We have placed selfish interests ahead of biblical imperative to serve God and to serve the people sacrificially. The Zondo Commission has revealed so much about corruption, which is so entrenched in our society today. It is disgusting just to hear what is happening in our nation today. But let me challenge you. The Bible is not meant to be a magnifying glass. The Bible is a mirror. It is one thing to look at Scripture and say, we need godly leaders, but we are not godly leaders. Corruption starts with a compromise of an ethical standard in the smallest of things. Corruption starts in the heart. It starts internally, and then it ends up externally. So we're going to now talk about corruption in our own lives. It is one thing to say we are praying for God leaders. We need to choose godly leaders, but we need to become godly leaders. We need to put the mirror on ourselves. When you are stopped by a traffic cop and you've done something wrong, what do you do? When you have not obeyed the law, when you have gone ahead of the speed limit, over the speed limit, what do you do? In the first service, someone said, just accept and pay the fine. Now, I want to put the mirror on myself. So, when I was much younger, I used to drive very fast. My wife is here, she can tell you. She can attest to that. And I realized actually it's a weakness because if I planned my day better or if I planned my trips better, I don't have to drive fast. I can relax and drive and get to my destination without driving at 160 kilometers per hour. I'm confessing now. I mean, I've negotiated so many times whenever I'm caught, you know, like the first question they ask you, what do you do for a living? I'm a pastor. You know, someone is dying in hospital. I need to get there. No, I didn't lie. I'm just saying I'm a pastor. <laughs> now, this is what happened. True story. The, the traffic fines used to be delivered to the church office. And the lady who used to collect the mail from the post office, Greg will remember the story, would bring the letters to my office, and she says, Pastor Sai, it seems like you're getting a lot of love letters from the traffic department. And she will just drop them, she will walk away and not say anything. At that point, I got so convicted. I said, this behavior needs to change. And you know what? It's because 
whenever I'm found guilty, I would say rather write the traffic fine because I know that I'm wrong. Now, last week, uh, Saturday, Lindy and I were driving from a funeral. And uh, I don't know if you know that you will always be tested in the areas that you're contending for. You will always be tested in the areas that you're contending for. In the workplace, the areas that you're trusting God to bring change, to bring transformation, that's where you will be tested. So for my own personal life, I've set a standard that I will never pay a traffic fine, but that's exactly where I get tested. So we were driving from the funeral, and I was a few kilometers per hour over the speed. Just a few kilometers per hour, not a lot, just for the record, just a few. I had my own reasons, you know. We needed to fetch the kids from the Mabunus, thank you Mabunus, and I thought we need to get to the kids. Those were my reasons for being at a few kilometers over the speed limit. And they stopped us. And I thought, Lord, I'm preaching about this next week. You cannot be testing me on this very area that I'm preaching about next week. Timing, Lord, timing. <laughs> Ask the guys who preach. It is when you're going to be preaching about that very thing, you get tested in that very thing. It is what you're exactly contending for at work. You will be tested in that. Jesus was tested in the very thing that he was contending for, he was contending for the kingdom of this world to become the kingdom of the Father. So the devil comes, if you bow down to me, I'll make the kingdoms of this world your own kingdom. If you bow down to me. He was tested in the very thing he was contending for. I'm sure you're wondering now, what happened to the traffic <laughs> We just We're close to praying. My wife the best trick ever in the world. She said, she said, there is no blood in our alcohol. There is just no blood in our alcohol. <laughs> if you know that the minister of uh, transport recently just said, we don't want to see any blood in anyone's alcohol. And the traffic cops started laughing and she said, you can go. <laughs> I think we need one car, babe, so we can always drive together. <laughs> so it's one thing to be negative, to criticize corruption until it comes close to home, until you have to deal with it. You know, I can speak about the fear of God over the finances of the church. That's why we have financial advisory board. That's why we have remuneration committee. No pastor sets his own salary. There's the fear of God. That's the kind of leaders we want to have. Proverbs 29 verse 2 says, When the righteous are in authority and become great, the people rejoice. But when the wicked man rules, the people will groan and sigh. The people will lose the joy that's supposed to be there. That is why we need to pray for godly leaders, choose godly leaders, and become godly leaders. We need righteous leaders. We need righteous leaders in positions of authority. Acts chapter 6 says, when you're going to choose men and women to serve as deacons, they must be wise and full of the Spirit. Those are the kinds of leaders that we need. Challenges in applying this criteria and voting today is our party list system. Our party list system, basically, the political party chooses who they're going to put up as candidates. So now what we need to do 
as Christians, we need to look at those lists and we need to look at this template that we looked into this morning. Are they competent? Are they committed to the truth? Number three, do they have Christ-like character? And number four, are they incorruptible? Are they wise and understanding, respectable men and women? The other problem is the problem of uh, electoral process. Our electoral process does not allow for candidates to represent a specific constituency, so we don't have independent candidates. I don't know if you're aware, there is a court case in the Constitutional Court right now contending so that we can be able to have independent candidates. So when you vote for that particular person, you know exactly what they stand for. So we should not ask the question, should we vote or not vote? We should be asking the question, who we should vote for? And why we vote, it's not just because it's our constitutional right and responsibility, but it's also to honor God, to choose godly men and women in positions of influence. The question we should be asking ourselves is, which political party has the values that are aligned to my values as a Christian? Do they honor God's ways? Freedom, right to life, prosperity, justice, both restorative and punitive. Wisdom, integrity, accountability, and a good track record. The question we should ask ourselves is, what type of leaders do we want to see leading us? story I want to close with before we do this declaration together. We started by saying that we experienced a miracle in 1994. And I want to close with this understanding of that miracle didn't just happen. It happened because Christians were praying. On the eve of the 94 elections, the Inkata Freedom Party was not going to be part of the elections, and you know already there were unrest in areas where the IFP was, and Chief Mangosutu Butelezi was not being part of those elections, and they, they were not even on the ballot paper. There was a rally that was put together by Dr. Michael Cassidy in Durban, Kings Park Stadium, and they were praying. It was a peace rally. Over 30,000 Christians gathered to pray for the nation and to pray for peace when other people were talking bloodbath. It was during that prayer meeting, something that we may not know, or you may, not have, may have not heard of it, in the VIP lounge, Dr. Cassidy, Dr. Frank Chikani, and Chief Mango Sutibutelezi, and a few other political leaders were there with uh, Dr. Washington Okumu from Kenya, who was one of the mediators. All the international mediators had moved back home and said, nothing can be done. But he stayed and he wrote a peace agreement between Chief Mangosuti Putelezi and other political parties. And two days before the elections, the IFP was inserted on the ballot paper. And that's the miracle that happened that time. And today, I want to say to you, God can do it again. God can do it again. God can do it again. God can change the negativity as people are saying, this nation is going down the drain. We, the children of God, we rise up with hope and believe that God can do it again. He can do it again. Let our posture be a posture of prayer. Let's stand to pray.
I've asked Jesse to lead us in this prophetic declaration of our nation. But before we do that, let me remind you of the power of prayer. The Queen of Scotland once said, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the assembled armies of Europe. Because John Knox was known to be a man of prayer. He prayed a prayer, Lord, give me Scotland or I die. I believe that should be our prayer today. Lord, give us South Africa. Give us this nation. Give it to godly men and women. At the end of the service, we're going to be praying for those people who work for government, those people who aspire to be in public office. We're also going to pray for those who are in the health sector and those who are in education. As we pray for you, we're going to pray that God will give you wisdom, courage, and boldness to stand for the truth. When we do the workplace series in a few weeks' time, we're going to pray for other sectors as well. But I want to encourage all those in government, health sector, education, we want to pray for you after the service. Jess, please lead us. So we're just going to unite our faith together as we read this declaration. And with this comes the bravery that we will raise our hands and that we will go where God has placed us. Amen. So let's read together. Ten declaration promises for South Africa. My prayers are impacting my nation in incredible, positive ways. My prayers for my national leaders are bringing peace, safety, and radical conversions in our land. God is raising up men and women of courage, righteousness, and supernatural favor to guide us into a great season of blessing as a nation. The presence of the righteous in our land protects it from disasters, plagues, and poverty. There is an increasing amount of people that God is strategically placing in government, media, entertainment, education, healthcare, business, and other key parts of society. In a single day, whole cities are being transformed by the love and power of God. Radical conversions are happening all across my nation with people forsaking sin, coming to Jesus, getting water baptized, and becoming powerful leaders in my nation. For such a time as this, I am being raised up to save my nation. I am part of a massive amount of people in my nation that God is baptizing with a fresh spirit baptism to shake our nation. My hope level determines my influence level, and my hope is growing for what God is doing and will do in my nation. Amen. Amen. We're just going to, you can give a round of applause. <laughs> Amen, Jesus. We're going to take a moment to pray for those leaders that Simon mentioned now. If that's you, if you are trusting God to be in political office or if you're currently serving in that sphere in any way, would you mind raising your hands where you are so that we can lay hands on you and pray for you? Great. If you are around somebody who's got their hands raised, please just take a moment now to turn to them and lay your hands on them as we pray for them. Do you want to pray? Yeah. Father, we thank you for 
these men and women, Lord God, we thank you for their boldness and their courage, Lord Jesus. We thank you that you have plans and purposes for them, Lord, and that you have destined them and predestined them, Lord Jesus, to be bringers of your kingdom, of your hope, and of your peace. We thank you that your kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And we pray for strength, for wisdom, Lord God, for opportunity, Lord Jesus, and for favor on these men and women to go into places of influence and governance and bring your kingdom there, Lord Jesus. We pray that they would be declarers of hope, bringers of peace. We pray that you would use them as hands and feet of yours to bring the good news to every person in office, Lord Jesus. We pray that they would proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord of all and that they would use your wisdom, Lord God, and your discernment to facilitate unity, to facilitate growth, to facilitate hope, to facilitate peace in the land of South Africa, Lord God. We pray that you would use them to bring justice. We pray for justice in our nation, Lord God. We pray for just, godly, God-fearing leaders, Lord. And we pray that you would give every single person who is trusting for this opportunity and influence, Lord, to bring your kingdom. We pray your protection over them. We just declare that no weapon formed against them shall prosper, that no word of accusation will bring them down in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, but that your hand would be upon them, Lord God. Thank you, Father. Amen and amen.